It is such a privilege to be able to be here this day in worship. To worship the Lord openly. There are Christians today in China, in Vietnam, who will worship secretly. Who do not have the privileges that we have to worship openly. There are Christians in Europe who have the ability to worship openly. But if there's anyone else that comes to services in addition to their family, it's a good day. We are so blessed to be able to worship with many to praise God's name together and to speak of Him. We are blessed to do this. And we are blessed to be able to go out in the world and to speak for Him. That is a blessing. As we leave this place of worship together, as we focus on God and go out into the mission field of the world, That is an incredible blessing. In the passage that we're looking at today, Jesus is talking to his twelve and sending them out in the midst of their world. There will be some things that they encounter that we do not. There are some things that in this section apply to them in ways that don't exactly apply to us. But generally, this message is the same. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew 10. We're going to actually start at the end of Matthew 9, but Matthew has five sermons, discourses of Jesus that go across nine chapters. Today, we're going to look at one of them, and we're not going to do it justice. But we want to say some things that will help us as we seek to go out into a world and to speak his message. First of all, notice in the text in verse 35 that Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus feels compassion for the crowd because they are distressed and they are dispirited like sheep without a shepherd and that phrase is used in the Old Testament for example of a people who lost their king in 1 Kings 22 and verse 17 
But here these people have no spiritual guidance. As a matter of fact, if you remember the context, the spiritual leaders of the people have just accused Jesus of casting out demons by the rulers of demons in verse 34. And Jesus sees that they don't have adequate leadership and he is saddened for them and feels compassion for them. And he says the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord would send laborers into our vineyard. Considering what the New Testament covers and considering the length of the book, there are relatively few things that we are specifically told to pray for. And one of those things is right here. The harvest is plentiful. Sometimes the Old Testament uses that image of harvest to describe a coming judgment. Like in Joel 3.13. Here it's not used in the sense of a coming judgment, but of gathering people to God. The harvest, the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few and pray that the Lord of harvest will send laborers into his vineyard. In looking at these verses, I'm reminded of a conversation that I had almost 40 years ago with a preacher that most in this room would probably know. As we were driving along one day and talking about the Bible and talking about scriptures, he said something to me that has always stuck with me. He said, if we were to take all the preachers of the world, the gospel preachers that we know of, and distribute them equally throughout the world, based on population how many full-time preachers would there be in America now that would include some preachers that we probably wouldn't feel that great about but still even including them in that survey He said there would be eight in America. Now, I can't imagine in that 40 years since that that number's increased. I'm not saying that full-time preachers are the only ones that can do harvest. We need every hand to work in the harvest. But I think that illustrates that illustrates that the harvest is much more abundant than we have workers in the field. And we pray that the Lord would send laborers into his vineyard. Pray the Lord will send laborers into his vineyard. Right after this instruction is given, then we find Jesus sending out the 12 disciples. He is sending out the 12 disciples. As we pray, Lord, send forth laborers in your vineyard. We are going to be part of God's answer to that prayer. For there is a mission field that you can reach. 
And there are people that you can touch that will be untouchable to everyone else. Pray that the Lord of harvest send out workers into his harvest. And as we pray this prayer, it also prepares us for the work. May God help us to remember these words. Remember these words. Pray these words. Make them a part of our regular prayer. And the Bible says in verse 1 of Matthew 10 that Jesus summoned the 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast out demons and to heal every kind of disease. Now I want you to notice the language of 10 verse 1 compared to 9.35. In 9.35 at the end of that verse, the Bible tells us that Jesus was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Those same words are used in 10 verse 1. The disciples' ministry is an extension of Jesus' ministry. As Jesus sends out these 12, he is sending them out as an extension of his own work. You see that not only in that phrase, but in other ideas. They are told in verse 7 to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same message that John preached in Matthew 3, 2. That Jesus preached in Matthew 4 and verse 17. And the Bible says that when they go out and preach this message, they are to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. As he sends them out with this message he is telling them to do the same kind of miracles that he has just done in chapter 8 and 9. He says heal the sick. He healed Peter's mother-in-law in Matthew 8 14 and 15. She was sick. He touched her. She got up and waited on them. He raised the dead in chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. In all of these, there are cases that miracles that Jesus has just done and Jesus is telling them, you go preach the message I'm preaching. You go do the miracles that I'm doing. You demonstrate the same power and the same authority. Now again, there are some things here that don't apply to us in exactly the same way. None of us had the same commission of Matthew 10 verse 1 and in Matthew 10 and verse 8. But we do go forth in a very real sense extending his ministry, trying to preach his message, trying to speak his word. And sometimes, God help us, receiving a little bit of the treatment that he received. In Matthew 10, verses 24 and 25, the Bible says a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. Now that statement itself is striking because it is used many times throughout the Old Testament in different contexts, in different situations. What's the point here? Verse 25 again. If they called the head of the house Beelzebub, 
how much more will they malign the members of the house? In this context, this statement, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master, is an instruction to us that if this is how they treated Jesus, this is how they will treat you. If you speak his word, if you talk to a friend, if you are resoundly rejected for that, that is a reflection of their response to him. In Matthew 9, 32 through 34, they just said he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. They have just hurled that insult at him. And the disciples are told that they will experience this as well. And this is what we call the limited condition. The limited commission. Why do we call it the limited commission? Well, because of verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6 says, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter any city of the Samaritans. But rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Does that mean God doesn't love those people? And God doesn't want those people to be saved? In verse 18, there's going to be a reference to a testimony made for the sake of the Gentile. God loves those people and God wants them to be saved. But God knows the appropriate time when each person is to be reached with his message. And now is the time to reach the Jewish people who should have been most prepared from their study of the Old Testament. It's the time to reach them with this message of the coming Messiah and the coming kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the time. God loves all people and wants all to be saved. But we call this the limited commission because of those prohibitions in verses 5 and 6 as to where not to go because in Matthew 28 the great commission Jesus says go into all the world and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit go teach all peoples God's plan is to include all nations but right now he is sending his twelve among those who are Jewish in their background. And they go forth. They go forth trusting God to provide. In verse 9... Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belt or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals, a staff or a staff. 
For the worker is worthy of his support. In whatever city or village you enter, inquire in who is worthy in it. And stay in that house until you leave. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. But he gives them instruction as to what they are not to take on their journey. They go forth trusting God to provide. And they go forth for His glory, not for their enrichment. Recently we had in our daily Bible reading, 2 Kings 5, a story that we're familiar with. Naaman was a leper. He hears from his Israelite maid about a prophet in the land of Israel and sends a message to the king with gifts and saying, please heal my servant Naaman of his leprosy. The king is outraged and tears his clothes and says, am I God to kill and make alive? But Elisha hears of it and he says, you send him to me and he will know there's a prophet in Israel. When he comes, when Naaman comes with his entourage to the house of Elisha, Elisha doesn't even come out and greet him. But he sends a messenger out. And the messenger has a simple message. Go wash in the Jordan and be clean. He objects to that. Naaman objects to that message. The rivers of my home country are better than the rivers of this land. Why can I not wash in them and be clean? What his servant says, if he told you to do something right, you would have done it. How much less when he simply says, wash and be clean. And he goes and washes in the Jordan He washes seven times as the man of God says and he comes up in his flesh as as clean as that of a child. Now he goes back to Elisha and he says, I know there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. And he says, please take this gift from me. That's Elisha says, as I stand before the Lord, I will not take anything from your hand. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, says, my master should have taken something from Naaman. He follows Naaman. He says, I just had two sons of the prophets come to me and they're in need of some clothing and they're in need of some money. Naaman gladly gives it to Gehazi. For this is a small token to be cleansed of his leprosy. But what he instead gets is the leprosy of Naaman will cling to him forever. Third John, verse 7, writes of some who went forth for the sake of the name, taking nothing of the Gentiles. And there are some pretty heroic stories 
in our world of these kinds of things. Several years ago, a friend of mine was going to the to live, just say one of the most expensive cities in the United States in the world. There were two or three Christians that was going to work trying to build up this very small group. And I remember talking to him just two or three days before he left. And I called him by name and said, do you have all your support? And he said, no, I really don't have all of it. And I said, well, how much do you have? And he said, none. And I said, no, that's not all of it. That's true. <laughs> and he said, that people had told him. If you think it's the Lord's will, go. And he'll come. He did. And it did. Can I promise in every instance that will happen? Not like that necessarily. But doesn't this mean something to us? That God will provide. That God will take care. That God will bless in these circumstances. But we all know. We live in a dangerous world. We live in a dangerous world. And even with all of our blessings in our country, sometimes we can be hesitant to speak for fear. In verse 16, Jesus says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You are innocent, you are sheep, but you are going out in the midst of predators, in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and be innocent and doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But they will hand you over. When they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of the Father of your Father who speaks in you. Now verses 19 and 20 I don't think apply exactly to us, to me, like they did to the apostles. But I want to tell you this, when you go out and you speak to others about his message, there are going to be times you're going to be caught flat-footed and you're going to be asked a question. See, you're not going to have
Well, it may not apply in the same way. Does God not give us sometimes wisdom in the moment to deal with the situation? Sometimes I've experienced that. I imagine that others have as well. We go forth trusting him to help us when those situations come. And even maybe if we don't have a good answer, we don't need to do something sometimes. We just need to stand there in a sense. We don't have to find out anything fascinating to say, but just stand on the solid ground of God and His Word. But we're told that brother will betray brother to death in verse 21. In our class in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 13, verse 6 through 11, you are to tell if your brother or sister or close relative tries to entice you to worship another God besides the true God. This situation described in Matthew 10, 21 is kind of the opposite of that. There they are told to inform about one who sought to win them away from God. Here they are going to have people betray them because they were faithful to God. And the Bible tells us, as we are sent forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, as we are told to be wise, to be shrewd as serpents, to be innocent as doves, not trying to cause harm, but shrewd and wise, And the Bible repeats in verses 26 through 31, the commandment, do not fear, three times. In verse 26, therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in the ear, proclaim upon the housetop. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear them. You are of more value than many sparrows. Verse 26, do not fear. Because the things that Jesus is telling the disciples in private will be proclaimed publicly. It will be proclaimed before all. In verse 28, do not fear because there is a limit to the harm they can do you. Even if they kill your body, they cannot touch your soul. Don't fear. God sees every single bird that falls to the ground. And He is watching over you. 
The fact that God is watching over us does not guarantee no bad will happen to us. But it does give us assurance. Give us hope that God will take care of us even if that doesn't look like it's the case to the visible eye. And I will tell you a statement that I love. In verses 32 and 33, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. When you stand out on the street or the business and you hold a sign that says free Bibles or you hold a sign that has Jesus' name Think about him holding a sign as your name. Whoever confesses me before me, I will confess his name. before my Father who is in heaven. And the message, the message that we have to give is profound. That God's rule and reign has begun among man in a new way in Jesus. And that whatever man's allegiances are or whatever the news is at the moment, that Jesus is king, that Jesus is ruler. He is king now and it will be manifest unmistakably, undeniably to all the world one day as every knee will bow and every tongue will confess but rejecting that message, rejecting that message has disastrous consequences. As Jesus sent his disciples to preach, let's pick up at Matthew 10 and verse 13. He says, if the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it's not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment. 
city. Shake the dust off your feet. Paul and Barnabas did this when they were leaving Iconium in Acts 13. In Acts 18 at Corinth, Paul shakes the dust off his feet. To do that is to say, you have been rejected. You, or you have rejected God. You have rejected his message. I am free of your blood. Shake the dust off your feet. It will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah are proverbial even in our secular society. For in those nations, in those cities, Given the corruption and given the evil, God rains down fire and brimstone out of heaven and destroys them because of their extreme wickedness. God says it's better to be Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than to reject this message. Now, friend, think about that too in your situation. Think about what we said earlier in the sermon. We are not in China in fear. And government authorities are about to arrest all of us and kill us. We're not even being in Europe with full freedom. But we have to look at the four or five members of our family and offer encouragement to each other. I want to tell you younger people too. You have been given great rest and great privilege. You probably cannot tell me the first time that you heard Jesus died on the cross because it has always been a part of your consciousness. Always. That is a great blessing. Some people in this country don't know it. It's a great blessing to be carried to services, to hear Jesus preach, to have other people around who have some sense of love of God. Don't reject it. Make it your life. Make it your life. We are so blessed. The consequences of rejecting this message are profound and the blessings the blessings of receiving this message are great the bible says you will be hated in verse 22 by all because of my name but it's the one who is endured to the end who will be saved To confess him before men is to be confessed before the Father. And the Bible says, he who receives you, verse 40, he who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward and whoever 
in the name of a disciple, gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink. Truly, I say to you, he will not lose his reward. We know who's going to win this conflict. We know who's going to win. It's foolish knowing who's going to win to pick the losing side. It's foolishness. And to give a cup of cold water in his name is not to lose your reward. To confess him before men is to be confessed by him before the Father. To endure to the end is to be saved. Moses said in Deuteronomy 30, after laying out the blessings and curses, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Jesus has given us his message in Scripture. The result of rejecting that message is death. The blessing of receiving that message is life. As far as this goes, I don't know what else to say. If you've rejected this message previously, change that today. Repent and be baptized, acknowledge your sins, and pray for forgiveness as we stand and as we sing.